Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damas Cleary. And today we'll be discussing season one of Killing Eve. Damask, I have some news for you. Ooh, this what is, is gonna this is earth shattering, it's gonna change your life. <laughs> this is the 69th episode of Hunting Seasons. Oh, I was wondering why you had us both in this weird position and completely <laughs> naked. Oh, it's on theme. Nice. 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 All right, should we get straight into it? Mm-hmm. Off topic. Hot topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Off topic, hot topic is the part of the show where we just talk about things that aren't the TV uh, season that we're reviewing this week. We tend to like to start with some Brian Fuller watch. He's done nothing this week of, of note that I can tell. Um, so let's get into some headlines instead. Um, so we're going to start with some TV news. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot this week, probably because there's been a massive dump of trailers for movies over the last two weeks. And because this has been the week of E3, this is the big like video game Christmas type of the year. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in that stuff, go talk to Dialogue Options, um, their podcast. They're talking all about E3 this week. All the latest news from Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, Bethesda, EA, Ubisoft, all that stuff. It's been an exciting week, which means there isn't a whole lot of TV news. So a couple of things that have been that have come out. Um, FX has renewed Atlanta for a third season. We didn't know that until now, so that's exciting. Nice, nice. Uh, Game of Thrones is had its uh, prequel from Dr- Jane Goldman um, has been given the green light, so they've got a pilot order. Um, Goldman wrote Kickass and Kingsman. Um, oh, yeah, she's a pretty cool writer. Um, so this series is set a thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones. The series is described as chronicling the world's descent from the golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. And only Ooh. one thing is for sure, from the horrifying secrets of Westeros' history to the true origin of the White Walkers, the mysteries of the East to the Starks of legend, it's not the story we think we know. Does this interest you much? I, I mean, I like that it's taking place like, a thousand years pre, and it's yeah. not just like um, like the Targaryens kind of t- rising up or whatever. Um, yeah, it's not like we're going to go back and see a young Ned and a young yeah. like um, Robert or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, so like, guess this is like back in the days of like first men and stuff. Is that what is that what it's going to uh, be? Possibly, yeah. Like if they're talking about the origins of the White Walkers, we're going back a long yeah. way. Yeah. And um, the children of the forest and stuff. Yeah, that's, that sounds like it could be cool. It could be cool. I'm always wary of spin-offs, but they, I mean, spin-offs mm. have probably worked better on TV than they've worked in movies 
um, in a lot of ways, you know, Frasier, because <laughs> this is very comparable to Frasier and Cheers, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly interested. I'll I'll be checking it out for sure, especially if they nail the ending of Game of Thrones, but we'll see if that happens or not. Mm. Um, sure, this is a headline that comes from AV Club. Sure, Tina Fey would do a Liz Lemon slash Leslie Nope spin-off with Amy Poehler. That's the headline. I'll oh. give you some context. Speaking with Entertainment Tonight on the red carpet before Sunday's Tony Awards, Tina Fey said there had been no progress on the 30 Rock revival that that uh, Jane Krakowski teased back in April. But she did pitch a pretty sweet consolation prize. After noting that Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman have indicated a few times that they'd be willing to do some kind of parks and recreation reunion slash revival, Faye suggested they should just combine the ideas and do a Liz Lemon slash Leslie Nope spinoff. Now, she didn't offer any ideas or anything like that. Um, how do you feel about that idea? I mean, I like the, I, I think it's a cute idea. Do I think it would work in any way? No, I don't. They're tonally very different shows. Okay, let me give you this then. This comes from the person who wrote this article at the AV Club. I'm sorry, I don't know who that is off the top of my head. Um, their idea... Leslie Nope is running for office at a federal level, and Ben Wyatt has gotten her an appearance on a new feminist-leaning New York-based sketch comedy show produced by veteran TV writer Liz Lemon. The show will be a miniseries event, with each episode focusing on a different day of rehearsals and wacky meetings in the lead-up to the live broadcast of Leslie's TV appearance. We'd even be willing to write the script if Tina Fey can get a, guess a good uh, price, preferably something in the low millions. I thought that was very funny. Um, I thought that was a cool pitch. Like, obviously nothing official, but yeah. um, I mean, like, yeah, I it's, can a, see that it's working. a cute idea. I just uh, those shows don't really work together, in my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. That was from Sam uh, Basanti, by the way. I was able to look that up quickly uh, over at the AV Club. Um, one more little one for you, which I thought was interesting. Netflix was shocked that the end of the fucking world did so fucking well. <laughs> this also comes from the AB Club. Um, in a sort of a, a big article they did, I think it was an interview with Variety, sort of going into, um, oh, sorry, Vulture Profile, sorry, into Netflix, just a, sort of about how Netflix work and its models and so forth. It's apparently doing gangbusters at the moment. Its share price is going through the roof. Um, it, one of the things they said, it was astounding how popular End of the Fucking World was for us. This is from CCO Ted Sarandos. Um, on one level, it was a massive failure that we didn't see it coming, he said, while also noting that for all the company's metric tracking and data binging, picking up picking shows is still 70% gut. Um, so they were surprised that End of the Fucking World was as big as it was. That makes sense to me. It's a pretty out there sort of idea for a show. It's just a little mini series, mm. two unknowns, nobody of note, comes from the UK. Um, does that make sense to you? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's not really much to say on the topic. I was just, uh, part of me would want to put that in there because I was happy to hear it had done well. Oh, like, yeah, that's true. Because we don't we'd get any metrics it. from We them, talked about we? on the show. We, ha- we know people who have seen it. Yeah. But it didn't feel like it was catching fire. It certainly wasn't doing like a, a, um, a Stranger Things or something like that. It hadn't blown up the internet. I'd seen a couple of little bits here and there about how people like the show. Yeah. Still I no think, word. Yeah, when you go looking for information about it, you see how kind of critics, you know, really praise it. But yeah, it wasn't, uh, it's not something you're just going to happen upon, you know, a rave review of the show just when you're perusing the internet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was just glad to hear that it had done 
done well. We don't know if we're going to get a season two. I kind of hope we don't. Yeah, um, I don't really need one. In some ways. But if we do, I wouldn't be surprised anymore. Um, a little bit from me, quickly, beyond news. Mm. I went and saw Tully the other day. Are you aware of Tully? The movie Tully? Oh, is that about that captain? No. Oh, no, that's what Sully. <laughs> no. So close. What the? No. What is Tully? <laughs> Tully. Tully is a film directed by Jason Reitman, who you might know his films. Thank you for smoking. Juno, Up in the Air, mm-hmm. um, and a few others as well. And written by Diablo Cody, also of Juno, Ooh. Young Adult, Jennifer's Body, and the United States of Tara fame. Uh, it's about a mother. Can I, of- sorry, can I just say? Yes. People did not give Jennifer's Body enough credit. Yeah, I, I never saw it, actually. It's a great film about the dynamic of female friendships in high school, and it's great. Anyway, go on. I believe you because I've come to realise, this is one of my notes on this film, I am actually a secret Diablo Cody fan mm. and that I think I've poo-pooed the idea that because of Juno, and as much as I like Juno, I do like that movie, it's so quippy, mm-hmm. right, that it... Um, it, I kind of, over time, decided maybe it wasn't as good as I thought it was. Right. This film, this script is quite mature, I think. I should tell you what it's about first. It's about a mother of three who hires a night nanny to help her with her newborn. Um, it stars Charlize Theron, Mackenzie Davis, and Mark Duplass, who we just saw actually in um, Spotlight last last week. I'm a big fan of Reitman's work already, especially Search since- Search Party. Thank- I don't know why you keep calling it Spotlight. Search Party. Thank you. I don't know I don't know why I do that either. Since watching Search Party last week, I'm a big fan of Reitman's work um, ever since Thank You for Smoking, which have you seen that? The- I have. I, I It left me cold, but I, maybe I was too young and just didn't really care about it. I don't know. Sure. It might not be for you either. Like, I don't, you know, straight white male protagonists- don't mind. Yeah, I'm interested like, sometimes. Yeah, probably like Mad Men for me. Like I just yeah, can't yeah. That Imagine, actually, that's a really good sort of comparison piece, I think. Um, and since then, I've realised I'm a fan of Reitman's work, and I have this ongoing realisation going on. That I'm actually a fan of Diablo Cody's work too. It's not my favourite piece from either of them, but it's a solid small scale dramedy that uh, I think a lot of people, especially parents, especially especially young new parents are kind of probably going to find very relatable. Mm. People in their mid-30s in particular. It's probably Cody's most mature script that I've seen so far. It's brutally honest and yet sort of disarmingly funny without going to that quirky or quippy level that you can go to. Sometimes quippy maybe is a better Mm -hmm. word for it, especially Mm -hmm. if you think of Juno and stuff like that, which I think suited Juno because it was about a teenager. It was easy to sort of like have her say weird quippy lines and almost seem like um, catchphrases in that film because of her age. Yeah. Um, and this this is weird thing. It's such a like an honest look at parenthood, particularly motherhood. It's weird how it can be terrifying and inspiring at the same time. It's how it can <laughs> show you something and show you it warts for all and make you go, that looks horrible, but also make you go, but I kind of want that at the <laughs> same time. Yeah, I, it's a weird contradiction that it pull and it pulls it off really well. Charlie Charlie's Theron is her performance is great, understated, believable as this exhausted, exasperated mother of three slash woman coming to grips with her life that the way her life has turned out. It's um she sort of had to transform herself a bit from the Charlie's Theron that we know as well, the blonde bombshell that we'd see in like Aeon Flux or 
even in like Fur- as Furiosa, right? She's like a strong, you know, lead woman in that. And this, I don't want to say she's let herself go. She just sort of looks more like a recognizable everyday human woman. <laughs> if that so makes sense. So she's gone like the the mix between you know Furiosa and Monster. She's found a nice in between like a that, suburban kind of. mum. Yeah. She just looks like a mum who's also got looking after three kids and, mm. you know, doesn't have time for herself anymore. And she's it admirably is very convincing in that role because Charlize Theron is fucking hot. And, like, I wouldn't always <laughs> think that she would pull that off. Um, but, no, she's done a very, very good job in that. But more importantly than the way she looks is her performance is excellent in it. Um, narratively, it's actually surprisingly hard to talk about because it can be more unexpected and unconventional than I thought it was. Certainly, the trailers don't lie to you in any way, but they don't tell you everything, which is what's good about this. And for a long time, I wasn't actually even sure what the central conflict of the movie was. But when it came into focus, what was good is that it wasn't hard to then apply that knowledge retroactively. And so the film didn't leave me like feeling unsatisfied or anything like that. But when it sort of gets to where it's going, you go, oh, okay, this is what the movie was about the whole time. Um, it was good. I would definitely recommend checking it out, especially if you're interested in Reitman or Diablo Cody, if you're interested in Charlize Theron, if you're interested in films about parenthood, I guess. Maybe you aren't. Um, but yeah, that's on it in um, select theatres around the country at the moment. I think that's true of most places, US and the UK included. Damas, do you have anything for us this week? Um, so my girlfriend bought me Breath of the Wild. <clears throat> which has This is overtaken. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the That's Nintendo Switch. You can get it now. It's been out since, uh, I think, March last year. Yes. Amazingly enough, not sponsored. <laughs> not sponsored but, by Nintendo, uh, though if Nintendo did want to throw some bucks our way, I'd be more than happy to spruik for them. Don't worry about yeah, that. I wouldn't say no. No. Um, so, you know, I've been trying to be good lately and be ridiculously productive. All of my spare time uh, recently has been taken up with, like, projects and just getting stuff done. That has completely fallen apart this week. It's exhausting doing that too. Yeah. All the time. That's, that's true. Self-care. Self-care to me. Yeah. Self-care is important. Uh, this game is so beautiful and fun. And I like I used to be obsessed with like Elder Scrolls Oblivion and Skyrim and stuff. Like I loved those games. Um, and I feel like that with this game, except times a million. It is really? so much fun. Wow. Um, it's just such a, a fun adventure. And that's also surrounded by gorgeous scenery. Like, it looks so good. I've just been having a really good time with it. Ken, so, well, okay, I want to ask you this. How long, How much have you played, do you think? How many hours do you think you've put into the game? Um, Estimate. Maybe 10. Okay. I think. Probably more, but I'm going to say 10. <laughs> this takes um, on a very unconventional... Um, sort of style compared to other Zelda games. Because normally it's pretty straightforward Zelda. You have a quest, you go to a dungeon, you complete the dungeon, get some items that will help you complete the dungeon, fight a boss and leave, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do that again 10, 15 times until you get to the end of the game. This is an open world game. You start in one section, it you do that first section and then the whole world opens up to you and you can do it in whatever order you want to do it. Explore the world as far as you want to. Yeah. How do you find that? Like, are you are you following the main quest line or are you just doing your own thing? 
Um, so I was doing my own thing for a lot <laughs> of it. Uh, I was I've I've only just hit my um first divine beast. Right. So before that I was just kind of like bumbling around doing little side quests and then I got to the point I was like no I, I need to make some progress in the game. So I've I've just gone back to the the main quest now. But yeah, it's it's really nice to kind of like make your own way in the world. It's I think the biggest appeal of this game is that you are rewarded every turn for exploration. So yes. if you see the to- like a mountain or a cave or something like that, you go and check it out because you know there's going to be something in there. Yeah. And the the quest line sort of pulls you through in a certain direction. But as you're going, you'll see there's a shrine over there. This little like there's little like cave like temples that you go in and you do a couple of puzzle and then okay that was good. Let's do another one of those and you can see one in the distance. So you just got to figuring out how to get there. But all yeah. the stuff that will happen to you along the way, um, the things you'll find or the the stuff you'll come across, it's I it's so engrossing. I've finished that game. Upgraded everything I basically can, apart from one thing, because that is there's these things. Have you found many Korok seeds? The little I think um, I found one. You found one. There's yeah. 900 of them in the game. Oh, jeez. And so, if you're a completionist, which I often feel like I want to like, especially if I love a game, I want to do everything. Yeah. That is daunting. I have decided that I'm not going to do that. I don't have time in my life to find 900 fucking Koroks. Yeah. But a lot of other things, like I'm full hearts, full stamina bust, all that sort of thing, as I've gone along with the game, got all the equipment, finished every shrine, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so rewarding to do because it was always fun. And so much of it happens naturally just by playing the game and exploring the world. Oh, I kind of want to... Has there been anything that's happened that's shocked, surprised, or taken your breath away? I don't want to give anything away because these moments come naturally and when they happen you go oh my god this game's incredible i did not know that was here no i don't think so no i don't think so okay if you ever look up and just go oh my god that's what brod was talking about just just let me know just text me okay we'll do do. oh wow okay (laughs) anyway so it's it's pretty amazing what this this game can do um do you have anything else for us to mask uh, I have a reality check this week. Now I'm just reality gonna talking- check. <laughs> I'm just going to be talking about one show, and it's going to be a controversial opinion. Oh, here we go. So bear with me. Um, so apparently there was an upset this past week. I'm talking about RuPaul's Drag Race with the elimination of Miss Cracker. And I get that it's shocking that Cameron Michaels has continued on after having lip synced for her life three times, but. I've got to be honest, Miss Cracker was a snooze this season. She was an unevent. Uh, and I'm sure she's fabulous and hilarious on the outside world, but she was white noise this season. Like, where is the personality? Where are the jokes? Where is the heart? I'm like, I'm just not sad that she's gone. And apparently people are like, oh my God, I can't believe she's left. But you know, The lip sync was boring and I'm not saying Cameron Michaels like nailed it either. The lip sync was boring. Um, She was boring throughout the season. She won one challenge, which was the reality TV, not sorry, not the reality TV stars, the social media stars episode, which I fucking hated. I thought it was terrible. Um, I just, I don't want YouTubers on my, on my RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sad that she's gone. I'm just looking forward to Eureka, Asia and Aquaria being the top three. Like, give me that. That's fine. Um, yeah, I just, I don't understand why people are so upset. Miss Cracker was nothing. Sorry. Sorry about it. Uh, and that's it. That's it for Reality Check this week. All right, let's get to it and give our spoiler-free review of Killing Eve Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Killing Eve is a BBC America spy drama series about Eve Pilastri, a desk-bound MI5 officer working to track down talented psychopathic female assassin Villanelle. Based on Luke Jennings' codename Villanelle novella series and developed for television by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the show stars Sandra Oh, Jodie Comer, Kim Bodnia and Fiona Shaw as MI6 agent Carolyn Martins. Killing Eve is available in Australia via ABC iView and premiered in the US on BBC America on April 8th, 2018. Season 1 consists of 8 episodes, each coming in at around 42 minutes, and took us approximately 5 hours and 35 minutes to watch. Shortly before its Season 1 premiere, BBC America renewed Killing Eve for a second season. So, Damask, why did we choose to uh, do a review of Killing Eve? I don't remember. I mean, oh, wait, because I loved, I loved Fleabag. Yes. Um, and then I think you heard she had a new show on and you're like, we should do this then. It was that and just the general buzz around the show was very, 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 very good. Like anyone who was talking about it was saying, oh, this show's great. Uh, and I was actually getting into it more and more as the season went on, I think. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's let's mm-hmm. do that one. Yeah. That's the fun story there. Um, <laughs> all right. Do you want to give your spoiler-free review of Killing Eve Season 1 for me, Damask? You know what, Brod? I want to hear yours first this week. Oh, I'm going first this week. Okay. Is that okay? I just all thought we'd right, mix let's it up. Let's see. Um, my thoughts. Killing Eve is fun, clever, sexy, intense, has some tip-top dialogue. It, even in um, Episode 1, I remember just thinking to myself, it's like, yeah, this is... Someone who knows what they're doing is writing this show. Um, has a, a bunch of great performances in it, but really the the top of the show, the pair of Sandra O oh and Jodie Comer um, are really fantastic um, and drive the show completely. And they just do a fantastic job in their roles, both of them. I haven't, like, I know Sandra O oh from things like um, Grey's Anatomy and stuff like that and Private Practice and those. But I've never, I've never watched those shows, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea what she was sort of capable of or even what sort of performance she was. Have you seen was. Sideways? That- uh, oh, the movie Sideways. Yeah, she's in a that. A trillion years ago. Yeah. At, in a golf club hotel um, <laughs> room when I was 10 years younger um, because my parents were out. Um, and it was good. I remember that, but it was a long, long, long time ago. And I didn't drink wine either, so that sort of didn't, <laughs> I don't know if that helped with the uh, the experience at all. But I remember enjoying that. But it was a million years ago, um, so yeah, it was it was good to just sort of get to know her and her how she performs, and she was fantastic. She was so good as Eve, and then Jodie Comer as well. I've no, I've no re- point of reference for her at all. Never seen her before in my life, um, and excellent surprise to um, to meet and get to know her as a performer and uh, this character of Villanelle. Um, and yeah, I did want to give um, some uh, some love to the supporting cast as well, um, especially Kim Bodnia and Fiona Shaw, um, who both have pretty important roles, uh, especially alongside those main two characters. I just thought they were, they were top-notch all the way through and really held things together. Um, for me, the only thing... The only real thing that keeps this from being like a top tier show for me 
<clears throat> excuse me, is maybe I didn't feel super emotionally invested the whole time. I found it fun and interesting and like there was a lot to to dig my teeth into, but I wasn't quite there emotionally yet. Mm-hmm. Though by the end of the season, I felt like I was starting to really get attached to these characters and, and what the story they were telling was. And I'm left really wanting to see more in the next um, in the next season. But yeah, as far as like spy thriller series go, I don't think I've really seen that many. I've seen plenty of spy movies. I've mm. seen like, you know, your, your Bonds and your um, Mission Impossibles and even things that are a bit more down to earth. I was going to say Born, like the Born series. That's not down to earth at all. <laughs> you know, but a really the, relatable series. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the you're right. series, yeah. Um, but... But I really enjoyed this show. Yeah, like I never saw what was the one that Jennifer um Alias. Alias, yeah, right. So you never really watched that series or anything mm. like that. And I don't know how similar this is to those things. Um, but found the story really fun. Um fun is is a really good word for it. Just the dialogue is really fun, the scenarios are really fun, these kills and the assassinations that Villanelle goes on are really fun. The little espionage game that's being played. Um, I kept thinking at the start, the first episode, without spoiling anything, the way that sort of um, Eve is, she's figuring out what's actually going on, sussing out that this was a female assassin and so forth, was clever without being like, oh, this person's a genius. Like, she's no Mm. Sherlock Holmes, but that would be silly. She's not meant to be that sort of character. She's just good at her job and has an intuition for these things and found that really good. Um, But then, yeah, it can get very, very intense at times and- yeah, did I say sexy? It's pretty sexy. It's pretty you did sexy say that at the well. very beginning. Um, yeah, so uh, that's my review. What about you? Look, is this my favourite show of 2018 so far? Look, it might be. Really? <laughs> it, wow. Um, I mean, we're, we're only in June, but I really enjoyed myself. Um, yeah. It's not to say that I think it's the best show I've seen, but as for my enjoyment level, yep, it's certainly up there. Um, which is pretty amazing considering you and I have watched some pretty bizarre gems lately, whether that be Barry or End of the Fucking World, um, which both shows I really, really enjoyed as well. Mm -hmm. And those two shows actually have quite a bit in common with this one. You know, they're smaller productions, they're concisely told with a dark story that I think is perfectly melded with humour. Yeah. And I'm really kind of enjoying that kind of storytelling at the moment. Um, and obviously you and our listeners know of my affection for Fleabag, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably one of the best shows I've seen in years, um, which is obviously already also helmed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I just think this is further proof that she helms projects with such a strong voice that is full of rich character focused storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, throughout this whole thing, I, you know, it's, it's so tense, but it's so filled with humor. And after the final episode, mm. I just sat on my couch for a moment or two and I just had like a little giggle to myself <laughs> about all of the very strange and counterintuitive feelings I was experiencing. I was like, how did I get here? I don't understand how I am reacting to these characters in this way, particularly one character. I was like, I feel very strange about this. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes it might feel or can feel a little hard to take certain twists or drama seriously because of 
how much humor is in the show. Um, yep. But I think they do a wonderful job of making Villanelle a very real threat. Like she is terrifying to me because at yep. any moment, and I think they prove this time and time again, she can turn around and just destroy lives and just not care about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is amazing about this show is that when Villanelle does something like that, you do feel horror and sadness and all that stuff. But you also feel like pride and levity about the situation. It's just like this cocktail of really weird mixed emotions that have somehow been brought together to create something that I found incredibly captivating. Um, And obviously, like, you know, you spoke about all the different kind of like spy shows and films that, you know, many of us have seen. I mean, I grew up watching Alias and I really, really loved it, but it Mm -hmm. was so heightened and it was yeah it was sexy in the way that is just unrealistic yeah. you know she was always in like a sexy outfit and a sexy wig and killing people in a sexy way because she's mm-hmm. a female spy um, which can be a lot of fun to watch and you know I obviously love the show but this show is different but it, it's it has layers of homage that feel fresh because of the new perspective given to those old themes um, and you know, Jodie Comer, Sandra Oh are amazing at every turn. They both have a wonderful but very different command of comedic timing. Yeah. Coma is both terrifying and alluring. Oh made me giggle and then she ripped my heart out the next minute with a big dollop of pathos. Um, the writing team have a fantastic command of naturalistic dialogue. Yeah. That no matter what twist and turn might take place. I was just looking at the screen and saying, you know, I want to understand that person or I do understand that person or I could laugh with that person or, you know, or I could cry for them because they just have a way of, although the situations are beyond anything that, you know, you or I have ever experienced, we could easily see ourselves in Eve's shoes just because the dialogue is so good. It's so Mm. naturalistic. Um, and I, remember, I can't remember what show we were talking about, but I remember saying that um, I really wanted a show about an interesting psychopath, something a little deeper. I, can, yeah. I really can't remember what show it was. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was um, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. There it is. Um, yeah. And I got my wish. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this, is, this is what I wanted. And I didn't even know how to exactly articulate quite what I wanted because I – don't think I'd really seen that before. Um, certainly not to this much detail and not in a TV show. So I, yeah, I got my wish and I am so happy and I love the show. There you cool. go. Cool. Awesome. So what would you give this show out of five stars then? This season of the show, I should say. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm swaying between four and four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. Just for some basic logic holes, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, nothing. Ma- it didn't bother me, but I can see um, some flaws in it in that way. But sure. the ride was so fun, and so it ha- was filled with such wonderful characters. And I thought it was a fascinating character study. That those things didn't really bother me in the slightest. Mm. Um, but it's not perfect, but it was a perfect show for me. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I think a, f- a four is probably a good score. What about you? 
Yeah, I'm giving it a four as well. This is my third four in a row in three <laughs> weeks now. Loving your fours. Bit like I'm a bit easy net going or something like that. But um, well, it's because no, we keep choosing awesome shows because everyone's that's part of it. I mean, about how we awesome get they are. the luxury of being able to do that of just being able to go. Well, I want to watch this, and I've heard good things. That's so probably going to be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, four four stars. Excellent show. Really, as all the things I said earlier about how I found it fun and engaging and those sorts of things. Um, yeah, it, uh, the only the only thing that comes away from this is after giving this a four and Search Party a four last week, I kind of want, want to retroactively give a Barry a four point five. I feel like I slightly under. I think I'm realizing how much I liked Barry as well. <laughs> Not to say that I didn't like Killing Eve, but yeah. I keep think I keep thinking about Barry two That's weeks becoming later. Becoming a regular occurrence for you is that retroactively is. changing your scores. <laughs> yeah, just just thinking back and going. Um, Maybe that's a little bit harsh on that. Why do I do that now? Anyway, point being, this I feel like a four sits pretty well for me. Um, I recommend everyone go and watch the show. As I said, in Australia, mm. it's on ABC. I view the whole thing now. Go and check it out there. Um, it's on BBC America in the US and I assume in the BBC something in, in the UK <laughs> and other places. I'm not sure yet, yeah. but it's, it's getting out there now. It's um, picking up steam, which is cool. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. In the yeah. meantime, let's get to spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in season one of Killing Eve. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Killing Eve up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids. I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. Eve's a regular Joe who works at MI5. In between inane meetings and inane morning conversation with her husband, she finds simple pleasures in getting drunk with co-workers and enjoying a croissant. Villanelle, aka everyone's new favourite psychopath, loves her work. She relishes the excitement of travelling to different locations and casually enjoys watching the life leave someone's eyes. The only thing that's missing is for someone to appreciate her craftsmanship. Cut to the British Intelligence Agency finally having Villanelle on their radar. They don't know much though. Eve correctly assumes the killer is a woman, and she most likely is the connection between numerous high-profile kills. These insights get the attention of her superior and all-around badass, Carolyn Martins. Villanelle left a witness at her latest job, leaving a big chunk of evidence for Eve to look into. Of course she's been assigned to organise the security detail and nothing else. But she can't help herself, the discovery of a possible psychopathic female assassin is too interesting to ignore. 
Her boss Frank informs her that they now know the killer to be a man, thanks to some handy CCTV footage. Eve doesn't believe it though, so she conducts an illegal interview with the Polish witness, who describes the killer as flat-chested. Eve was right. She can't spend too much time getting excited over this though, as the witness, a nurse and the security that Eve assigned are all brutally murdered by Villanelle. Not only that, Eve unwittingly met the woman she's so fascinated by in the hospital bathroom. It was at that point that I kind of wanted them to start smooching, but I guess I'm going to have to wait. Eve is fired from her job for being a total loose unit. It's not all bad since her superior Bill and total legend quits in solidarity. Thankfully, they don't have to apply for unemployment. Lord knows that can take weeks and weeks to be processed. Nope, Carolyn Martins was so impressed with Eve's initiative that she hires her to put together an off-the-books task force. Eve isn't the only person undergoing some professional shake-ups. Villanelle's handler, Constantine, is a little PO'd at her rather theatrical style of killing. I personally love the drama of killing an obnoxious child's grandfather while he's locked in a bathroom, and then having him discover the body. But, you know, I'm not in the professional murder business, so Constantine probably knows better than me. Poor Villanelle is having to play with others. Back with Eve's task force, they discover a mole in the organisation. Turns out to be Frank the dick swab. Eve and Eleanor take a lovely drive to Dibley. They don't run into the vicar though, but Villanelle and her new co-workers Natasha and Boris instead. They're on a mission to shoot Frank in the face approximately 753 times. They don't get their man though. A combination of lesbian drama and workplace friction gets in the way. Frank calls Eve for help and she tells him to run across an open field. Clearly she doesn't have HBO or she would know how that ended up for Brand Stark. Somehow, Frank makes it. Back with our trio of assassins, Villanelle isn't really vibing with her bandmates. And like Beyonce before her, Villanelle knows that she's meant to be a solo artist. There's nothing quite like vehicular manslaughter to really cement a breakup. Villanelle pursues Eve, Eleanor and Frank. And with the choice of fight or flight, Eve makes the unconventional choice of a compassionate stare. Villanelle has a good chuckle at this and then runs away. Eve takes Frank to a safe house, and with the help of some mum cuddles from Carolyn, Frank spills the beans. Turns out he's working for a creepy shadow organisation. The gang are a step closer to figuring out who is paying for Villanelle's luxurious lifestyle. But the cute assassin wants to spend some quality time with her pursuer, so she hunts down Eve. They have a nice first date with some shepherd's pie. It's cut short though when Eve's husband becomes the world's biggest cock block. Villanelle keeps a memento though. It's Eve's phone and it has all the details of Frank's confessions and his whereabouts. And surprise, surprise, Villanelle hunts him down and cuts off his knob. A just punishment for someone who was a total dick. When Villanelle goes home after an incredibly satisfying day at work, she's met with bad news. Turns out her old girlfriend Nadia survived being run over 15 times. So our girl is sent to a Russian prison to tie up the loose ends. Joke's on her though, cause it's a trap. Constantine and the Twelve are sick of her shenanigans and decide they just want her locked up. She's trapped. Eve is also having a nice holiday in Russia with Carolyn. They're trying to figure out just who the Twelve are and want to use Nadia as a source of information. But sadly, it's too little too late. She won't be talking from the grave. The gang uncover Villanelle's real name and identity. Her name is Oksana, and she had a very interesting relationship with a former teacher. Eve goes to have a visit, 
which reminds me of all those times I've had a crush on someone and I stalked them on Facebook and Instagram so I can understand their life and dig into all of their past relationships. Don't judge me, I know you've done it too. Eve discovers that they had some kind of romantic relationship and Villanelle wasn't too happy with Anna having a husband, so she does the most rational thing, which is to slice off the guy's pea stick. Back to Villanelle, who doesn't spend too much time in prison. She's broken out and given a new handler. She already has one father figure though and isn't really interested in taking orders from another man, so she kills him. She then goes and finds Constantine so they can have a productive chat about the failings of their relationship. Constantine finds her in his home with his wife and child missing. He's pretty bummed about this, but he manages to escape. It seems that he is one of the few people that knows how to work Villanelle. To get him back, she plays a pretty good prank on him, you know, by kidnapping his daughter. They go on a fun little road trip together to hang out with Anna. It doesn't go super well because Anna is such a drama queen and shoots herself in the head. Constantine is a little worried now that Villanelle has sights on him and also his daughter, so he goes and asks Eve and Carolyn for help. Constantine and Eve go to have brunch with Villanelle and the daughter, but that also doesn't go well when Villanelle shoots her handler. It's all a bit of a schmuzzle, and Carolyn decides it's best to call it quits. Eve doesn't give up on her girl that easily, though. She finds out where she lives and decides to redecorate. Perfect timing, too, because this is when Villanelle comes home and they have a chat about masturbation and gay feelings. It's very cute. That is, until Eve stabs her new girlfriend in the stomach. This ruins the mood and Villanelle decides to leave and take some time to think about their future. Can love conquer attempted murder? I guess we'll find out next season. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff, too. I want to start... At the end, basically. And just mm-hmm. talk about that that ending. The last couple of minutes in particular, but even the last 10 minutes, basically, where Eve has tracked down Villanelle to her home and has walked around and sort of taken it in and then decide to destroy the whole thing, just throwing champagne everywhere and <laughs> generally just, you know, having a bit of fun. Um, and then Villanelle walks in and... The moment on the bed in particular, um, I I was a little bit, I feel like maybe I was, I was, I must have been just a little bit not following the show when that scene on the bed happened to begin with. Like, I figured there was some subtext about these two, their attraction to each other, but I didn't feel like there was text about their attraction to each other. So, when they're on the right. bed- and they're almost like, so, like, are we, like, steady now? Almost is what it felt like the conversation was about. <laughs> like, hold on a second. What? It was so cute. Yeah. yeah. It was quite cute. I th- yeah. I think what's, for me, exciting about something like that is generally in a show, and I think it, for the most part, was played like that, Was it was played as subtext. And that's usually how it goes. Yeah. And by usually, I mean always. Yeah. So, then for the subtext to actually be like, well, no, that's actually text is very exciting and not something that really shows do. It's like, oh, there's kind of lesbian undertones or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes to this point where it's like, you know, they like, they want to fuck. Yeah. They like each other. And I love, I was here for it. Yeah. The whole time. I was like, this is great. I mean, there's clearly this attraction on many different levels, complex levels, and to actually watch that play out. And it's not just like this, you know, kind of straight-laced woman fantasizing about this free-spirited 
um, younger woman who just kind of like lives her life carefree, it's it's like neither. There's something deeper there that like they both want to explore and acknowledge, which is cool. Yeah, no, it. Um, I, I I was really impressed by that as well. And it's funny when I thought when it, when it got there and it was sort of happening, I was like, oh, this is okay, cool, awesome. That's actually a really great place for this show to go and drew me really in, like. Because I knew the, sh- the episode was about to end and it was the end of the season. It was like, I wasn't sure at what point. I thought it might have just been them just sort of together. I was like, well, what happens mm. next? I mean, Eve is unattached at this point. The, her marriage is falling apart and she doesn't have a job. And it's like, oh, maybe they're just going to be together. Wouldn't that be an interesting place to start season two? And then I started thinking back to like all the things that got us there and sort of the the subtle setup of... Um, of Villanelle's sexuality. Certainly we've seen her with men, but we've also seen her with women. Um, getting to know about her relationship with um, the other killer, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. And oh, then- Nadia? Uh, yeah. And then Anna as well, the her like tutor, which I think is oh, a really yeah. interesting relationship um, mm. that says that, as I got to the last episode in particular, I thought said a lot about Villanelle. We'll get to that in a moment. And then in terms of- uh, Eve, it was, um, it was not quite as obvious because I I didn't necessarily think there was an obvious idea that she had a, you know, she was queer in any way or bisexual or anything like that. But the she starts saying things like "my girlfriend" and just sort of, I thought it was more playful. But then it, I don't know, it actually made me go, well, is this text or is this just playing Villanelle at the end? Um, mm. especially when she gets to the bit where she stabs her in the fucking gut (laughs) which truly shocked me even though she had the knife what i really liked Mm. about the way they played that scene right was the gun gets taken out of the scenario and put under the bed and then the knife comes out but i didn't actually expect her to stab her with it yeah i expected anything else but that to happen basically Mm -hmm. and at first i was a bit shocked i was a bit confused as to like what her what she was doing and why. And then I just remembered, oh, right, Bill got killed like in episode yeah, exactly. three. It's like she said she was going to kill her and this is it's exactly what she's doing. Yeah, because I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, I really want you guys to be together when yeah. they're like on the bed and stuff. Yeah. And then as soon as she stabs stabs her, sorry, I was I was shocked. I was like, no, you're ruining it. Um, but then I remembered Bill and I was like, oh, actually – yeah, fair point. <laughs> yeah, right. But I had the same thing. I was like, oh, you've, oh no, you've ruined it. Why'd you do that, Eve? Yeah. Um, it really, you know, dampens a relationship when you stab your partner. But, it, oh well. Yeah, it's not traditionally known to be like, it's a mood killer. We'll say that much. It is. It certainly is. And then, so that was fucked. And then she was pretty, really badly wounded. I was like, I think you're going to die here. Then mm. when she, like the, the whole way that escalated in its tension, Eve, sort of realizes what she's done and reacts to that and goes to the kitchen to get the thing and tries to get her to to wants to, you know, compress the wound basically. And then she's had a and then the what it, Villanelle's got the gun and the whole thing's fucked and then she's gone. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking I, amazing ending. Like Yeah, I, I, I loved it. The idea that, you know, Eve has kind of been seduced or um she's finds Villanelle alluring in the way she lives her life alluring and then you know they they get together and then 
Eve does a very villanelle thing. She kind of, you know, you don't see it coming and then bam, you've been stabbed. And then the immediate realization on the part of Eve, like, oh God, this is not who I am at all. Like I can't actually go through with this um, and kill someone in a very kind of cold-blooded way and mm. just kind of stab them in bed and then leave them. She immediately gets up and tries to help, tries to kind of take it back, which I love. He's like, yeah, well, Eve might be very attracted to Villanelle and kind of the life that she leads and the, the things she, she does. It's, it's not who she is mm. at all, um, which, which I loved. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then Villanelle disappears and Eve just kind of has to sit in her decision. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a perfect ending for the show. So good and leads to a, a – who knows what possibilities are going to show up uh, for next season, what that looks like there, mm. how they're going to entangle with each other, how they're going to relate to each other, what they're going to be trying to do. I think I think the title suddenly makes a lot more sense potentially yeah, <laughs> for next true. season. But it depends. It depends. It's, really, it's, it's complex. It's not that easy. Yeah, it's like it reminds me of, you know, all of those kind of like thriller movies where there's like a – a, like a psychopath or a killer who has like a long history with a detective. Like he's killed their, like the detective's family in the past or whatever. Yeah. It's like, this is the origin story of the actual kind of the story of next season where we have these two arch nemeses who have a lot of history and there's a lot of like, it's a complicated history and kind of watching that play out. I'm kind of hoping it's just a two season series. Yeah in which we have like this origin where we kind of get to know them more and then we actually kind of have the real adversarial kind of relationship um, where it's, you know, pretty fucking terrifying. Well, let's dive a little bit into that um, a little bit further in terms of just what the show is saying about these two people. We've sort of explained or, you know, talked about how they're both living the lives the other one wants in a way. Um, Eve in particular, it's very easy to see the appeal of Villanelle's lifestyle. You look at Villanelle, she's living in a Paris apartment in freaking Montmartre or something like that. And she's, the fridge is filmed with nothing but champagne, amazing clothes. <laughs> and, you know, she's able to travel the world and do this incredible job. Um, and on the other side of things, you've got Eve living. And I love, something I really loved about early in the series was the completely how unglamorous working for MI5 or even MI6 was. When yeah. she gets recruited by Carolyn and taken to the like office and it's just a fucking office and the work they do while Kenny's like this, you know, U-Butte uh, whiz kid on the computers and stuff like that. It's just so plain and workaday and the appeal of a assassin and chasing an assassin when this is your environment, even if you're working for an intelligent agency like MI6, was so well established and so clever. I thought I really, really liked that um, very much. What do you think? Yeah, I think Eve's journey is certainly um, one of fighting fineness in the fact that she has a totally fine marriage and yeah. she has a totally fine job. Um and there is monotony in her life and she feels, you know, a little bored, but I don't even think she completely understands the depth of her boredom. Um, and that's not until, you know, she gets a whiff of this, you know, female assassin 
then it kind of awakens something in her and she sees a life that is so exciting, that is so fascinating to her um, that when she puts that against her own life, she's like, oh, oh maybe I'm not as satisfied or um, happy to be just fine as I thought I was before. So I think having everything be so kind of drab and dull in her life, including, you know, the MI5 job, just mm-hmm. the office space, um, the, cl- sorry, the clothes that she wears. Um, and then obviously we have a flip side of Villanelle who is in that gorgeous Parisian apartment, um, constantly carrying a million shopping bags full of designer clothes. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a perfect juxtaposition of this woman who is awakened by the idea of this glamorous life and this other woman who doesn't, who doesn't understand connection, um, but is fascinated by it and just kind of wants to sit in it and watch it. Yeah, I, I think it's great. The You bring up the point to sit there and watch it. <clears throat> the mm. opening scene with Villanelle um, in like the ice creamery or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. or the cafe eating ice cream and the little girl that's eating ice cream and sort of seeing her mimicking um the, the girl's sm- or sorry the smiles that the girl is receiving from the guy behind the counter to mm. try and get a uh, a response out of her and then as she walks out just like tipping the ice cream onto her and really showing yeah. um her her nasty edge at, behind that just how she enjoys the chaos and the the yeah, yeah turning things up or turning things on their head yeah. and so what, like what was what a perfect way to introduce a character by the way fantastic. like so concise and clear and just a really engaging scene to watch because there isn't any dialogue, but it shows us so much. It's so fantastic. Well, what's great about that is that when she finally does say start saying dialogue, which I think the the first time might be a conversation between her and Constantine, which mm. is a great is place to start. that after she pretends she's dead? What was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, when she pretends she's dead and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, oh, she might have had that little conversation when she walked in with her, like the lady that like, lives in the apartment oh, building right. and stuff as well. But mm. the thing is, once you've seen established before she's even speaking that she's like playing a part or playing roles you start listening to her dialogue with that in mind doesn't matter who she's talking to you you assess everything that she says through that same filter so you don't just assume oh this is who she is you're instantly going oh is this really who she is and everything puts through is put through that perspective which is fantastic um just the Jodie Comer and the her her eyes are freaking crazy. They're so big and expressive and she's so childlike. And mm. that became more and more important as the season went on, especially when we got to the last episode, um, which I'll get to in a little bit. But when we talked about it's obvious what, what Eve's attraction to Villanelle's lifestyle is, there wasn't necessarily an obvious why Villanelle would be attracted to Eve. There seemed to be two things that come into it. One, there seems to be an older woman sort of fantasy slightly at play here as well, which has got to do yeah. with a previous relationship as well. But then also, episode three, what I liked is that she was very much getting into the cat and mouse aspect of it. Um, there was a lot of talk about like kinks and stuff like that. And Villanelle seemed to be going out of her way to be put in situations that might get her caught. Um, because the thrill of being chased 
seem to be a part of it as well. Uh, yeah, certainly. I think that's why she starts, you know, acting out in her job, why she's doing these super theatrical kills mm. is because she wants some attention. She wants to be noticed for how good she is at her job. Yep. And then to have Eve be the one who does see that and who does recognize her and subsequently start chasing her, I think is just incredibly kind of intoxicating for Villanelle. One, because she's finally, you know, being recognized as being kind of one of the best, which she loves. Um, But also this woman um, has similarities, yeah, to that older woman that she previously had a relationship with and clearly has, you know, a thing for older women. So, the yeah, the combination of those two things um, is, yeah, it's exactly what Villanelle wants. Totally. And it didn't the, – the, the last episode, I was wondering for a long time, and it wasn't until afterwards actually, why they had paired her up with Constantine's daughter. Because there was the – yeah, you can run the parallel of how like Constantine sort of sees her as a daughter and the way he talks to her and about her um, mm. fits that, that they, they, they are two of a kind in a way. But – it only came when we got to starting to talk to Anna or Anna, the ex-tutor and their previous relationships. I started to sort of go, well, she is still sort of locked in this childlike place anyway. She's had this. I, I don't I don't know. I, get, correct me if I'm wrong here. Was that? That's a pretty fucked up relationship to have been a part of, right? Like the whole thing with your oh, tutor. Of, of course. I mean, it's obviously totally she was up. also killing. She killed the husband and all that sort of stuff as well, which is, <laughs> you know, cutting yeah. off. Um, your lover's husband's penis is pretty fucked up. But the the way that seemed like I kept recognizing that they were trying to highlight just how childlike she was. She's up against this other kid who seems to be more mature than her in some ways. And mm. she's seeing there being pouty and like um this is Villanelle, I mean, and and like chucks her little tantrums and stuff like that. Not in huge yeah. big ways, but just in tiny little ways. And yeah, I think it's becomes I mean we already know this but it becomes very obvious just how damaged and um yeah, I guess regressive mm. uh Villanelle kind of is and in the scene where we have um Anna and Villanelle having a conversation and talking about like who seduced who I can, and you know Villanelle was like okay, all right, I seduced her, which obviously we can see because she's, you know, very attractive and very kind of charismatic when she wants to be. But also, yeah, when we see the scenes with um, Constantine's daughter, she is a child. And like I don't quite – it's kind of like, huh, how could you be seduced by someone who really is not aware of anything? And when a child doesn't have boundaries – um, it is the adult in that relationship's job to put up boundaries, which Anna didn't do. And obviously, you know, that's how you end up with a dickless husband. <laughs> the, Consequences. The thing as well, the more I thought about too, the, the little bits we know about her history, from memory, I'm pretty sure her mum was dead and her dad was uh, in the military, I believe. Yeah, something like that. But who knows what's true, but yeah. Well, well, yeah, I think that was something they pulled from her history because they found out what her, oh, okay. what her name right, was. Right. And yep. then that made me think of things like <clears throat> they were talking about, well, Villanelle says things to Constantine, like, why haven't you fucked me? And they have a very daughter-daddy relationship, mm-hmm. which made me go, well, what fucking relationship did you have with your dad? And how did this play into how you've developed in terms of as a person, as an adult, as someone who's sort of locked in their childhood state 
um, as someone who's had to play parts even, as someone who's... And it, I think there's a, a lot that's not being said there potentially as well. Maybe because they don't want to, because it to mm. say it too explicitly would be to cast aspersions as to, you know, if you're... Like you know, into these sort. If even if you just buy or or into older women or something like that, that you must have had something wrong happen to you in the past. But I feel like there's yeah. like a really even a rich history before that that we haven't explored. That might I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sure there is, but I yeah, I also think it's just kind of nice to comment on the fact that in I think in a lot of other stories and um, other shows and movies and stuff. Because she's, you know, this sexy female spy, um, it would be obvious that the male handler would be either attracted to her or want to fuck her or to have actually fucked her. Um, So then I felt like, and maybe this is wrong, but her commenting on that was kind of commenting on um, the idea of like that's usually the narrative, but here it isn't. Here he's actually just, you know, quite paternal and really cares about her. Yeah, I I I really really liked their relationship. I really liked yeah, um, that actor's performance as Constantine a lot. I yeah, I feel like cool. I know him from things. I probably do, but I couldn't place him in a single single um, single work or anything. The that scene where he she comes to kill him, and she find he finds her in the house in like the little cubby that's been made. And the shock on his face, I rewatched it like two or three times because that would scare the fucking shit. Knowing what this woman's capable of, to yeah. find her in your daughter's room, the you it would just be a shock of terror just straight yeah. through you. I love that. And then their little, the conversation they're having when she's going to kill him and he's taking the pills and talking about how he feels about her and how she's special and all this sort of stuff. And then that turns into him trying to escape. And when he gets away on the boat, and she's shooting him. He just gives her the finger. I was just like, this is so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I think this show is fantastic at, like, I get excited when I see two characters just sitting in a room because I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. This is going to be so entertaining and we're going to learn so much. Um, and also, who knows what's going to happen because with this show, anything can happen. Um, and I think, yeah, that scene is a, a great example of that. Did you have any, like, favourite dialogue that stood out to you or anything like that? And We talk about how good just two people sitting in a room is. Mm. Um, there, it was quippy without... Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, that's not that's not right. It was great dialogue, very funny, very character-driven, actually quite natural, as you said, without being, like, quippy. And there's, I think yeah. it's a really clever... It's a, it's a hard edge to get that right because it's yeah. not an outright comedy, but it's it's constant just little, little moments, little observations, little ways of approaching a situation that... Make them funny so often. I couldn't get over. Yeah, how I wish I had written down more examples of dialogue that I loved, but there was so many of them that it would be almost impossible. I'd just be writing the whole script, really. But there was one that you know really sticks out in my mind. Um, it's when Villanelle has found Frank, and he's like, you know, I have children, and she's like, I don't want your children. Yeah, <laughs> which I love. Yeah, just like a perfect example of her kind of misunderstanding things. Um, or even when she's being um, purposefully funny or subverting people's expectations. Like when she's she has a gun pointed at, um, at Constantine's daughter's head in like the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. And there's women in the background who are like screaming. 
And she's just like, yeah, that's right. A child might die. Um, just little things like that that I just, I absolutely loved. What about you? Yeah, I'm trying to think. From So, so many of them, they involved Eve. I just found her so dry and like to the point, but observational, just the... Even the little bits with I one thing I really liked and it was done really well was her relationship with Bill at the start of the mm. in the first three episodes. They had a really fun just back and forth. They definitely butted heads on some things, like they explain that he's um, you know, he can't handle not being the leader. He's been the boss for so long that he's <laughs> sort of like struggling with that and um, they go. They've got their little walk and talks or bits in the hotel and stuff, and you build an affection for that relationship really quickly. So when he dies, because they've just made them fun to be in a room together because the dialogue's been so fun. Mm. The when he dies, a little it's a complete shock. I wasn't sure. I I was like holding my breath for episode four to see if there was a funeral or not. And when there was, I was like, "Fuck, that sucks." Because I really <laughs> like Bill as a character. That sucks. Yeah. I gotta say as well though. Once- yeah, you were talking about plot holes in the show that that sort of mm. kept you at bay. Um, not a, not necessarily a huge plot hole, but one that frustrated me early on when he goes into the when he's following Villanelle. Totally understood why he was following her. All that stuff made total sense. Why the fuck he went into the nightclub? I'll never understand. That made no sense to me whatsoever. Mm. Not because it was an obvious trap. I don't, I think it hit me that he was. She had lured him into an inescapable situation where she was going to murder him at the same moment he realized it. But more that if you're tailing somebody, they go into a club and the line's as long as that. Is it really worth even trying to enter? By the time you get in there, that person is either going to be left because that's what they're going to do or they're going to be impossible to find. Just how about you stake out the fucking entranceway? Yeah, I saw quite a bit of criticism about that particular plot point. A lot of people saying like, oh, you know, it's illogical or it's just to move the plot forward um which yes it does move the plot forward and it does give eve a very strong motivation um but i also like i want to like look at what it demonstrates and i think that's a really important part of it and why it doesn't really bother me those kind of um criticisms i i mean i get why it might bother some people but it really doesn't bother me So I think it just highlights the point that, one, it shows us just how dangerous and callous Villanelle is. Like, no one is safe. Uh, It makes us feel completely unsettled when she kills someone that we have affection for. Mm -hmm. And two, it shows us one of the reasons why Villanelle is so successful. Like, she is underestimated. You know, the same reason that she's let into the club without lining up is the same reason that Bill feels somewhat comfortable following her and then being in an enclosed space with her. Like like how I think the world sees her and is like, well, how truly monstrous could she be? Yeah. You know, she's not Hannibal Lecter. She's not Freddy Krueger. Um, and what Bill fails to recognise or realise, I think what a lot of people fail to recognise and realise um, and is what and what's so fantastic about that scene for them to show us is that she is worse because this is someone that is able to stab you to death in the middle of a club with a smile on her face. And when she just say she leaves that situation, she could be covered in blood, right? Yeah. And 
people will go up to her and be like, are you okay? Yeah. No one would ever assume that she's just killed someone. And I think it's just a, f- a perfect display of that. The ease with which she walks through life because of how she looks, how people perceive her, it makes her so much more dangerous than just a random male assassin or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that scene has such a great purpose within yep. the story that I can kind of forgive um, maybe some logic holes there. The, I was going to say, my criticism definitely isn't with the, the he killed, she killed Bill or even like, I think it's cool how it happened. I just felt like, yeah. oh, I feel like Bill's smarter than to, to do that. It just felt like yeah. he put himself. No, I, 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 I get it. And yeah. like, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, I can see why people would think that, yeah. but I think it highlights how, much she is underestimated, even when they have so much knowledge about the things that she's capable of. And you're right that this scene is important in so many ways because it sets up how dangerous she is, how it's easy to underestimate Mm. her. It sets up that there are stakes that people are really at risk here. And it sets up so that when things like um, when she's chasing down Frank, it's like, well, if Frank's really a goner here, there's no, you know, he's, 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 in trouble. If she gets in a room with anyone, basically, one-on-one that she intends to kill, it's unlikely they're getting out of that scenario. Yeah. So, the big one is when she gets into Eve's place. Now, it makes perfect sense that she knows where Eve lives. She's got mm-hmm. a million and one ways of figuring that out and knowing that at that stage. I think it's just on the luggage tag, even. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when she showed up, my initial reaction was, this has to be a dream because if she's there, Eve is dead. Like, yeah. this can't be real because the show is over and it just feels it felt so dangerous to have her there mm-hmm. um yeah. it's it's just like having dinner with like the terminator or the predator like she is that scary yeah and i love that they have been able to make her that scary and that we know and i think thanks to something like bill's death we know that she could do anything at any moment they, they could be in the middle of a conversation and she just slits someone's throat you know what i mean like it's yeah the tension is like palpable and it's it's so fun slash terrifying to watch. The just another little dumb moment that I loved, the when Eve goes to put the knife in her pants, sort of to mm-hmm. watch at the dinner table, and Villanelle's like, no, just hold on to it. And she comes yeah. back to the table, she goes to sit down, she can't. She has to take it out because of <laughs> how could you sit down with a knife in your fucking yeah. waist? It's it's moments like that that, you know, really humanize and make Eve so lovable is that while she, yes, she is very intelligent and she's kind of has these insights that a lot of other people don't have um, because her perspective is, is somewhat different, but she's also kind of inept in a lot of ways. Like she doesn't have any field experience. She's kind of just doing this for the first time. She's, you know, a bit of, you know, a clut sometimes or just like, you know, a bit of an airhead other times um, or just like, yeah, not quite there socially. It, they they make her really relatable, which is usually not what they do for these kind of stories. Yeah, like you said earlier on in the podcast, that it's usually this that this person is just a genius yeah. that is purely, you know, fueled by their amazing insights into this person. Where really Eve is just kind of like this clumsy, awkward fangirl. She's a murderino. Yeah, she's, she's a murderino. She is. She's just sort of like someone. It's like those people who 
you know, are fascinated by serial killers like the Golden State mm. Killer or something like that. And they're, you know, on Reddit forums and coming up with theories and mm-hmm. that's what she's been doing. When Carolyn's yeah. like, we looked it up, looked you up and with your computer, we found your theory on like that there is this assassin person out there. She it she's not trained to be to know this sort of stuff. She just works in security for MI5. And so she's just a big fucking fangirl. And but <laughs> how being a fangirl of um something so dangerous as a serial killer is kind of weird in its own way. And that um it yeah, no, I'm, I keep thinking back to it now. And the more I think about it, the more later I, I realize the show is or just how clever and subtle it is. I do love like the the second reading on things. So when Nico is upset with it because she keeps putting herself in danger, and it's like, oh, I've seen this story before, you know, the whole idea. It's like, oh, I don't want, I just don't want to see you hurt and blah, blah, blah. The thing was, it wasn't just that though. It's that she was putting herself in danger because she was more interested in something else, that her mind was elsewhere, that she was mm-hmm. cheating on him, basically being unfaithful with him for this assassin that she's fascinated with. And when Carolyn said to her when she first sort of approached her, um, they went for that walk to get milk in the first episode. It's like, maybe you'd rather think that you were having an affair. It's like, oh, yeah, that kind of played out over the course of the season. It was really, really cool. I love the character of Carolyn as well, I gotta say. Um, (laughs) uh, Played by um, Arpatunia or uh, Cooper's wife in the... Super Mario Brothers film, uh, Fiona Shaw, sorry, is the name of the actress, who I realise I've seen her in a million different things and really love her work. But just mm. that character, that sort of M-type character, um, the, 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 she's so literal and like almost robotic at times. But then when they get to Russia and she's got like this <laughs> weird like... Uh, feminine femme fatale thing going on there as well. Mm. The like the little spy games thing that's happening there. That's uh, apparently yeah, just about makes exchanging you go, sexual favors. If favors. they did like uh, a prequel series for this show of like her in the eighties being a femme fatale in Russia, like that could be interesting. Well, uh, the thing is, I don't think we're going to need to wait. I think if we're getting into like theories, I think there's a good chance that the, a lot of this plot is going to be tied to those figures. You look at. Valentine and Constantine and her, I think when mm. it comes down to what's really going on behind the scenes, what's um, it comes down to this. The, the Think about what Carolyn was doing with Eve, getting her to track down Villanelle in the first place. That was not on the books. That was mm. her own little side thing. She wasn't trained anyway. She found someone who was were already doing the work she needed done for some reason and got this person doing it on the sidelines in a completely unofficial way. When they talk about the 12, I it just I just think it's some weird spy game thing they've been playing for ages that these people from the British intelligence, the Russian intelligence, mm. and probably others have just been back and forth playing with each other like a little chess game for a long, 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 long time. To me, that's yeah. what this is all going to come down to. The 12 are not going to be some sinister shadowy organization. They're going to be 12 fucking idiots who have been playing with international politics for the, their own amusement this entire time. I, I personally think it's probably where this is all going. We're going to find yeah. out that these people are just all horrible psychopaths who've been playing this dumb game. Anyway, I don't know if you've got any theories on that or not. <clears throat> I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but I think if we're looking at 
just how this story, the focus of this story so far has been so character focused and so small. I think the smart choice is to continue along that vein. Um, Whereas if it's a large kind of shadow organization um, that's, you know, like chaos, like taking over the world, it's, that's a little too big, a little too broad to kind of bring down um, in a focused way um, with real personal consequences. So I think, yeah, if we have Eve discover that, you know, as Villanelle says in this season, I'm sure if you look, you know, high enough that we're actually just working for the same people, um, I think it, that might be quite literal in the sense that, you know, Constantine and Caroline Martins are, you know, they're part of the same thing. Basically. The the thing is as well, the world, yeah, exactly as you said, the world unfortunately feels too small. If you were to turn around and make it a big shadow organisation, and it's basically there are like six people involved in this story currently who are really <laughs> yeah. integrated into it. So, it just feels like for Constantine to be the guy who was... Carolyn's like one of her informants in Russia, but also B. Villanelle's direct like contact. It's mm. too small a world to be anything yeah. else. It has to be this dumb little intimate group yeah. of I think that connection spies. should be purposeful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not yeah, it's 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 on purpose, not a weakness. But for a long time I felt like it was a weakness. I felt like this was this is this world seems like tiny. They keep going to Russia and Paris and Belgium and Vienna and all over the place, right? But we keep coming back to the same couple of people. This is a small mm-hmm. world, but no, I think it's it's on purpose. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about specifically about Eve, about Villanelle, about any of the other characters or I just love that I don't know, I just love the whole thing. But just the <laughs> idea of these two women that go through life being either underestimated or undervalued and like finding one another is even though it's such a bizarre kind of situation and they're, you know, particularly Villanelle is such a bizarre character. I just really enjoyed that they are empowering each other from a distance which I found really intoxicating to watch and I think I mean I know you said that you had a hard time connecting um, with the characters through a lot of the of the season I didn't feel that way at all like I was like oh I like you know within the first few episodes I was like I want these two to be together and fall in love um, and get married and have babies. Um, but I, I was just so invested in how, yeah, how they were, were empowering each other. I know, I, I just, I loved it. The, the, the parallels they, the, and the parallels and the differences that they constantly are alluding to between these two is great. There was another one, I think it's the end of episode six, I think, when Villanelle is sort of put in isolation. She's literally put in the hole, right? And at the mm. same time, um, Eve has been told to go back home, basically. And they've both in a situation, they've been pushed away. They've been um, abandoned. They're, I think Eve at that stage, her and Nico are basically a done deal, it seems like. He's not going to probably come back into the picture, that sort of thing. They're mm. constantly showing how these two are the same while being very, very different. The thing, I guess, for me was it wasn't until that last scene, and maybe this is my weakness, not the show, that and it, it probably honestly comes from... Um, expectations, and some of it might even be heteronormativity stuff. That honestly, (laughs) that was like when you get these spy, and this is me admitting weakness here, that the 
when you get a spy thriller between two women, a lot of it is not necessarily these two women are meant to be together. It's that, oh, it's female versus female. It's like, let's see two mm. awesome, capable women fight each other, right? And while I could certainly see the attraction to one another, it was more, I thought it was more to the situation than to each other, if that makes sense. So when yeah. it became, um, it became text, it became that these two actually are interested in each other as people. The thing was as well, I think, we don't have that many scenes with them together really, right? We've got mm. the the little bit in the bathroom at the start, which uh, which was the for me was the bit where I was like, I'm in on this show, right? That little moment <laughs> in the bathroom was just like, this is fucking rad to be that close to each other. And then there's the little bit where um, she's going to shoot Frank after she's been chasing Frank in the car and they have their mm-hmm. little like... Uh, yeah. And, like, she just reaches out to Villanelle. Villanelle, like, almost throws up. She just doesn't know how to handle that sort of, like, attention from her. Um, it's so foreign to her. And then then you've got the one in the house. And then they don't really see each other again until the very end when she's got a gun to the daughter's, to Constantine's daughter's head. And then um, at, when she shows up in her apartment. So, there's only, like, five scenes total in the entire, you know, five and a half hour run or whatever it is. Um so I didn't necessarily feel explicitly that they had a relationship, which mm-hmm. which I was shipping anyway, until that last scene. And retroactively, the whole thing is working on a, a level that I wasn't aware of at the time. That is that's easy to apply later on, and I appreciate now. But I guess that was just part of it. It was just I I didn't realize I was meant to think there was a connection because I'm a dumb white man and <laughs> straight white man and. When I got there, I was like, oh, wait, this is awesome. I can't wait for season two, basically. Mm. So I think yeah. that's my I think that's my fault, not the shows necessarily, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah, no. I appreciate you uh, acknowledging the weakness. Yeah, no, it just, I, I just, it just, I think, came from a place of expectation. And I was like, like I said, I was enjoying the show plenty. Um, I just was, I was not aware, apparently, that that's what I was meant to be feeling. <laughs> Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes? I've got a couple. I mean, right. really, my only side note is that uh, Caroline Martins will always be. She's in Three Men and a Little Lady, <clears throat> which I used to love as a kid, watched it all the time. Um, she will always be the boarding school mom from that movie who tries to sexually assault Tom Selleck. What? Um, I've so not watched this movie in a long, long time, I think. Yeah, I did. Like, what did she. Comes up. Obviously, I've seen her in Harry Potter and stuff. But yeah. whenever she comes up, I just think of the scene where she's kind of really trying to sexually assault Tom Selleck in that movie, and it always makes me go, "That is a really weird scene." Anyway, um, and my other side note was it was literally that line that Villanelle says to Frank, in which she's like, "I don't want your kids," which I just I love that line. The, the did you have you seen the Super Mario Brothers film? Oh yeah, when I was little. Okay, cool. Because for me, I I watched that a million times. I was million times when I was little, and I just remember mm. her from that, and just like her right. weird like snake, like little twitches and stuff like that. I think she eats some like a, a rocket. I don't know. She's it's it's a she's it's a creepy part. She plays it really well in that. Okay. Film. I just think of her as Cooper's like mistress. It's great. Right. Um, something we were talking about oh, just between segments here as well. This is another mini-series that we've watched recently. So, between Barry and Spotlight, and uh, not Spotlight, um, Search Party, and now this, this is like, what, eight episodes, about 45 minutes mm-hmm. each? Mm-hmm. Come on, guys. It's not that hard. 
Luke Cage is about to come out on <sighs> thing. The first thing I did, I checked is what's the episode number count? It's yeah, thirteen episodes again. Mm. It's like an hour each. Yeah, basically, this yeah. is these work so well. So, Five so Five hours well. of TV is mwah, gorgeous. I Good. loved it. Especially if we're going to keep doing this idea they all have to be released at once because they were all dumped on ABC iView at the same time and mm-hmm. encourage binge viewing. Just, this is great. I'm much more preferring this this year. We're doing this much better. I, I watched this in a day. Yeah, you it did. You so smashed it, didn't you? Yeah, because I started watching it. I was like, oh, because I've been putting it off just because I've had like a hectic week or whatever. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch. So, I was in the bath, put it on. Um... And I watched the first like two episodes in the bath. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch a couple more because, you know, <clears throat> it didn't feel like a long time. Yeah. And then I got to like episode five. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this and then six and then seven and then eight. I like, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. That's awesome. And easy to do in a day because it's so short. Just it's like watching a couple of Lord of the Rings films. It's not that hard to do. <laughs> That's right. One, a couple of little notes. There's a bit in the, fir- I want to say it's the first episode it might be second or third, where Villanelle hides in a suitcase, right? <laughs> Which yeah. is all very impressive that she can fit herself in there. <laughs> what I couldn't figure out is how she got to stand up because she ha- needs it needs to fall oh, yeah. over for her to get out of it. I was just like, how did you... I'm just imagining her getting into this thing, right? Because it wouldn't have been stable enough to put her in there standing up and then having to mm. like throw her weight around to get to stand on its fucking wheels again. <laughs> so dumb, but so but just didn't even think of that. But that's quite funny. Just, that was yeah. really funny. Um, I a little a little moment that I loved as well in terms of writing, and I think this is a very Phoebe Waller Bridge thing. Is in episode five, I think it is. Um, they are going. So Frank has been through this situation where she's had Villanelle following her and trying to kill her and he doesn't want to, they need to talk to him and find out what he knows, basically. You know, he's been working with the Russians and so forth Mm. and he doesn't want to give up the information and the, like, guard comes in and says he's not going to talk and Carolyn says, you know, this M-type sort of head of a spy agency sort of thing says something on the lines of, like, well, we're going to have to use a different technique and she starts taking off her coat and she says mm. to Eve, I'm sorry you'll have to see this. And in your head, instantly you're thinking like torture techniques. Cut to her just like hugging him, just showing compassion <laughs> to Frank, just saying it's going to be okay. And, you know, saying that we just like very softly, you know, and kindly, we just, you know, we need to find out what's happening. And then he starts giving up the information. And I thought that was really well done for a couple of reasons. A, it's a complete misdirect in terms of you think it's going to be torture. Instead, it's compassion. B, the idea that that can be just as helpful, you know, that just being showing kindness to someone can can get the result that you want rather than trying to force someone through violence. But C, what I loved as well is that when that moment happens, it could be very easy to make that a big joke, like have him like bawling like a baby or something like that and having him, her like pat him on the back and say shh or something like that, you know. Mm. But it's not, it's much more subtle than that. And it's, it's just... It's actually kind of quite tender as well as being amusing, but without it being like com- like uh, comical or cartoony, which I thought was very good direction. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> for me, I, d- I didn't, I guess the joke in it, well, yes, it like subversion of um, expectation. It was kind of like I love the apologizing 
to Eve because she has to <laughs> go from being this very strong, capable, um, firm, almost stoic woman yes. to because she's a female spy and usually like in other things we've seen, you know, when a woman uses her body in that situation, it's, it's sexual. Whereas this instance, it was completely maternal. She had to kind of (laughs) become a mothering figure, which is obviously very demeaning to her because that's not who she is. Um, So yeah, to watch that and just to kind of have Eve in the background be like, Ugh, men, <laughs> of course, they need. I either need to be coddled or fucked. The you say she's not much of a mother figure. I love that she had. That Kenny is her son, though, right? Yeah. And we're at the airport, and they're like, "This whole thing's gone down." And Kenny and Eve have been working behind her back, and there's some animosity there. But she still offers him like some cheese puff yeah. things, <laughs> and he's like, "Which ones are they, Mum?" It's I just, I just found that whole little thing yeah. quite she's cute. Like, I really like Caroline's character. Them. Yeah, I think she's great. Um, favorite and least favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? Um, I mean, I don't really have one, but if I had to choose, maybe episode six, mm-hmm. "Take Me to the Hole," where they're in Russia, um, and Villanelle is kind of in the Russian prison and trying to get Nadia and stuff. It just felt like this was a a pause in the story a little bit more than I guess others. Like, I just wanted. The next thing to happen, I guess. Um, So, yeah, I'll I'll go with that one. What about you? My least favorite episode was Sorry Baby, which is episode four. It's the episode where um, Villanelle is with the other two assassins and they're chasing down Frank. Mm -hmm. And mainly it's a very Eve light episode. She's She's only in it in sense that they're trying to track down Villanelle and Frank. And I'm not learning a lot about Eve in that episode, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And even Villanelle, while it was more on her... And where we are learning a little bit about her because she has this previous relationship with this other assassin. The I the, I was never shocked at any point, like yeah. that she was going to kill both of them. That she, like mm-hmm. when she runs over the woman was like, oh boy, that's cold. But I was also like, I knew you were going to do something like that. Like even the yeah. point that she's going to run her over, I was like, oh, you're going to reverse this over this woman now. No, there was nothing. There was no point where I found that any more insightful. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So, it was a fine episode, but for me, just the weakest one in there. What about your favorite episode? <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. I mean, shout out to the final episode because that's yes. kind of a joint Especially favorite last for me. Minutes. Yeah. But yeah, but to um, not do that one because I feel like that's the obvious choice. Uh, I believe it's episode five. I have a thing about bathrooms. I'm pretty sure that's the one where we have the first real meeting of Eve and Villanelle. Um you know, Eve tries on the dress that she sent yeah. her, um, the scene in the bathroom. She's And then she's dripping wet in the kitchen very awkwardly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Villanelle's like, oh, I won't watch you get changed. And then blatantly watches her get changed. The whole confrontation at the kitchen table. Um, and then I also believe it's in that episode where, I could be wrong about this, but Villanelle um, confronts Frank. She finds Frank. Is that right? Um, the, yes, I yeah. believe it's either that or the very next episode. She, I think the, it's this episode starts with them. She's, well, she's going to shoot Frank in the back of the car and then they go to leave and then Eve gets out and starts talking to her and Villanelle disappears. Then she meets her at her house 
I can't remember how much further the episode goes, to be honest. But sure, let's say that that's what happens. If it doesn't, it definitely leads into that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and mostly my love for this episode is really them uh, at Eve's house, which I just think is a wonderful and tense uh, dynamic to have. Love the way that ends as well, where she starts, just pretends to be a friend. Yeah. Just like on Nico. (laughs) It's like, oh, hi, I'm just going. Bye. Yeah. What about you? What's your favourite? That was also my favourite episode. I hate it. I have a thing for bathrooms is my favourite episode too. The opening bit with Villanelle, as I said, and Eve on the road, their little confrontation there was really great. Eve showing up at the house was fucking crazy. Very intense. That whole thing was played really well. Um, the bit about Eve putting on the clothes was a big thing as well. There was It was weirdly like erotic in a way of like putting on the clothes this psychopath woman has bought for you. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fascinating place to be because it's not overt but it's there it's 100 percent there all of it um yeah yeah she puts on the the perfume yeah then you know villanelle gives her a a nice little sniff um she's like oh you're wearing it yeah that kind of thing it's just like it's part of the seduction that's taking place over the season yeah no i um i thought that was a great episode and yeah uh, I also agree, though, I could have easily given this episode eight, especially because of that ending was so good. Mm. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns? Not really. I'm just looking forward to season two. I yeah. mean, you've already spoken about uh, who we th- who you think the 12 are, um, but no, I don't really have any. Yeah, and even like uh, when I say the 12, I even don't even, I don't even necessarily think there are 12 of them or anything like that. It's easy to think of mm. like 12 shadowy figures in a boardroom or something like that. The 12 could mean anything. I just think whatever that is has just got to do with this bunch of like competing spies and their stupid little game they've got going and it tends to involve getting fa- people killed. Um I doubt Constantine is dead because he died off. If he died, he died off screen. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like without a funeral or without something else going on, I the only confirmation of his death we got was from Carolyn on the phone at the airport. And we've got no reason to trust that that's true. Yeah. Basically. Um, so I doubt he's dead. But I don't know to what purpose. I have no idea what form the next season is going to take. How long is it going to take until we have Eve and uh, Villanelle in the same room together again? Could be episode one. Could be a long way away from that. I Eve is out of resources. I thought as well, but who knows? I'm fascinated to see what goes happens next season. Have no idea. And I think that's it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com or by email emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, where um, my most recent tweets have been watching a lot of E3 coverage um and tweeting at Sony to get their fucking shit together because they won't play nice with the other consoles and allow for cross-platform play. Fuck you, Sony. What about you, Damask? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. And I think this week I have been... I think I just tweeted about Killing Eve and how it filled me with weird attraction to psychopaths. I think that's about it. Oh, yeah. This is the, this is, um, the follow-up to you being right into Cheryl Blossom from uh, mm. Riverdale as well. You have a type yeah. is what I'm learning. I do have a type. Yeah. It's I'm- people who most likely don't care about me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm worried <laughs> like about I'm very attracted to. The 
I also just want to say I got I got a little bit angry there right at the end about Sony. I apologize. I didn't mean to go off the rails there. Uh, got a little bit sweary. That's okay. Anyway, thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work, to Jordan Callows for our theme song, and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we're doing here, we'd really appreciate appreciate you sharing this podcast with other people um, who you think might enjoy it. Pop it onto the interwebs, let people know on Facebook, on Twitch. Uh, Twitch on Twitter on you can do it on Twitch too if you like if you have a Twitch channel on uh, YouTube whatever tell people please let people know about this because that's the way we get more people listening which would be always good to keep us going um, you can post reviews on iTunes Google Play Stitcher and Spotify uh, or whatever podcast platform you prefer we'll be back in a couple of weeks we're going to take next week off to uh, catch up on a few things we've got a lot of big shows coming up to talk about uh, the first of which is going to be Westworld Season 2 so look forward to that not next week but the week after thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons we will see you next time bye for now bye Earbuds Melbourne's Podcast Network earbudsnetwork.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.